There once were two boys born to a peasant farmer and his wife. Although they were twins, they could not have been more different. One was happy, obedient, truthful, and bright-eyed. The other, brooding, dark, and full of guile. The wise son's name was John. He was a sturdy boy who loved to work, and when it was time to play, he played just as hard as he worked. John did everything his hands found to do with all his might. Peter, on the other hand, hated work. He also hated to be told anything, by any one, and was very hard to get along with. He disliked his brother, he disliked his parents, and really, he disliked everyone. He was mean-spirited, discontent, and generally miserable. Unlike his brother, he never worked unless he was forced to. Then, not a second more than he had to, and half-hearted work it was. He did not even play hard, but chose rather to sleep or rest in the shade. His muscles were weak and little used. When his parents could not see, he did things they had instructed him not to do, and didn't do the things he was told to do. He was a sneak. When corrected for his wrongs, he would always reply, I know, and then go on in the way he always had, taking no heed to the correction. He paid little attention to the instruction of his father, and even less to that of his mother. He always fought with his playmates, as they never did exactly what he wanted. He had to be the boss, or he didn't want to play. He would pout and moan when forced to work, and if there was an easy way out, he always took it, even if it was not right. Peter was a fool. The farmer loved both his boys, but as you could imagine, Peter with his foolish ways grieved him at his heart, while kind-hearted, obedient John delighted his soul. As the boys grew, the farmer and his wife never gave up on Peter. They loved him and pleaded with him, entreating him to amend his ways, but to no avail. Peter, as I said, was a fool. The day came, as it always does with boys, for the farmer's sons to make their own way in the world. The farmer, wanting to bestow some good and wise counsel upon his sons on their setting out, said to them, My beloved sons, hear my voice, and hearken unto me. John listened intently, while Peter fiddled with his knapsack. You may not always be able to stop a bird from landing upon your head, but you must keep it from building its nest there. John, being a wise son and well acquainted with the ways of God, knew that his father was speaking of temptation. He knew that he must guard his heart and not allow the temptations to settle upon his mind. John took heed and hid his father's words in his heart as he set out to make his fortune. Peter, who was only half listening, just smiled and thought to himself, what foolishness is this? A bird making a nest in my hair? <laughs> and Peter, too, went out into the wide world. At first they walked together along the road, but after a short time Peter fell behind and lazily strolled along, while John, not willing to go so slowly, outpaced him. Already the birds were gathering around Peter's head. Not too far from the good farmer's house, the way became rough and steep, and John fell from walking at a brisk pace to a slower but steady gait. About this time a man in a carriage came along beside him. "'Young man, I say, you look very tired. I will give you a ride in my coach for a piece of silver.' 
"'You shouldn't trouble yourself with this steep place "'when I can easily take you over.' "'John answered very politely, "'No, thank you, sir. "'I have no silver to give, "'and besides, a little work is always good for a man.' "'Oh,' said the man, "'do not worry yourself about the money. "'You can ride now, and pay me later.' "'At this, John was a little tempted. "'He was, after all, more than a little tired, "'and his journey was only just beginning.' but he soon remembered the words of his father. Oh, no man, anything. Then he promptly but courteously refused the man, who, when he saw that John would not be convinced, went on his way, and as he topped the hill ahead of him, John could hear him whistling and singing to himself, Pay today or pay tomorrow, but pay you shall, pay you shall. When the man was out of sight, John sat himself down to rest, sure that a bird had lighted on his head but thankful he had not allowed it to rest there. Peter, on the other hand, was laughing to himself in the back of the carriage as he bounced by his brother up the hill. Ha, 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 I have gotten the start on him, he said. But had he? Before long John was up and going again, much refreshed from his rest, and soon was got over the hill. Peter, on the other hand, was taken down a road that bounced and twisted so that soon he became very confused in his head as to which way was the way back to the highway. After a time, the man that drove the carriage pulled it to a halt and roughly called out, "'Boy, you owe me a piece of silver. Pay me that thou owest me.' Peter, clambering out of the carriage, was surprised to find himself in a prison yard. Y "'You said I could pay you later,' he cried. "'Ha! And pay later you shall,' said the man with a sneer. Peter was forced to work, and it was some time before he earned enough to pay the man back his silver. Once out of the hands of the man with the carriage, it was some time more before he, being weary and worn, found his way back to the road. John, during this time, had worked too, but his labor was not in vain, for he had hired himself to a farmer along the way and having earned enough to journey on, had travelled a good many miles down the road. Peter, sullen and sore, muttered as he went along the road. He complained to himself of the unfairness of the man in the carriage, of the work he had been forced to do, but never once considered his foolishness in plunging himself into a debt that he could not repay. His face was dark and accurately reflected the heart of the boy, as he walked along the road, muttering and murmuring to himself as he went. John, further up the road, smiled as the coins jingled in his pocket. He had worked hard to earn them, and the joy he felt was evident in his stride. He had entered a dark wood quite some time before, but even the dank darkness of the black forest did not dampen his spirits. About midway through the forest, John spied ahead of him on the trail a caravan of sorts with banners flying, and horses' hooves clip-clopping in the distance. As they approached, John saw that it was a nobleman and his entourage. He quickly took off his hat and bowed low to the ground as they passed by. Just then the forest erupted with a sound of men's excited voices. Horses snorted and stamped, and soon the road was filled with the clang of swords and shields and the whiz of arrows flying overhead. It was an ambush. The caravan was being attacked by rogues from the forest. For a moment only a thought entered his mind to flee, but John, being the good-hearted young man that he was, did not hesitate to help. Springing upon his feet, he snatched up the sword of one of the fallen nobleman's men, 
and though never having wielded a sword in his life, his muscles remembered the swing of the axe and the scythe at work in his father's fields and sprang into action. His strength arose in him, and he swung a mighty swing, and down a man went, and then another, and another. Furiously he fought, and valiantly, for he, having a good conscience, had nothing to fear, even in death. He fought on side by side with the nobleman's men, and soon the battle was over. The thieves had been vanquished, and those that could fled back into the darkness. John, not having given a second thought to defending those being attacked, out of breath and still tightly gripping the sword in his hand, now found himself face to face with not a nobleman, but the king. He immediately dropped to his knees, and the king, putting his hand upon his shoulder, bid him to stand. My son, arise. John slowly rose and stood before the king. You have a very unorthodox way with the blade, but woe to the man that stands before it. You have fought in a battle. You did not begin for a man you did not know to be your king. What would you have from me, most valiant warrior? John, having come somewhat to himself at this point, said humbly, My king, it is my honor to defend the crown. I need nothing more. The king called to his men and said, Give this man a horse and a shield. And then turning to John said, You have done this day a service to me, and I wish to repay it. When you come to Badenton, on the road ahead of you, turn in to Badenton Castle, and await my return. I wish to speak further with you. At this John bowed deeply, and thanking the king for the horse and the shield, said, Yes, my lord, I will await your return. The two parties continued down the road in opposite directions, the king's men talking amongst themselves of the strength of the young man that had come to their aid, and the young John, musing over his good fortune, another bird had come and gone. As we said before, Peter was weary and worn, but having been forced to work had taught him no lesson. He was hungry as he made his way along the highway, but if the man in the carriage had come again and offered food instead of a ride, he would have taken it gladly. The birds had begun to build their nests, and he didn't even know it. He slowly made his way along the highway, very hungry now, but loath to stop and ask for work. When he was not quite gotten into the black forest, he met with three men heading in the opposite direction. They were three of the very band of robbers and thieves that we met earlier and further up the road. They were fleeing from the king's men and desperately looking for a place to hide. Upon spying Peter, they, being desperate and willing at this point to take a chance, approached Peter and said, Ho, oh, sir, if you please, we have been most grievously set upon by the king's men in the forest up ahead. We stand unjustly accused, and, sir, they pursue us to do us harm, we are sure. Peter, not being very wise, listened to them. They went on. If you, sir, would lie to the king's men when they come by, and send them off our path, we will handsomely reward you. At this one of the men produced a pouch and opened it, letting several gold coins fall into his hand. Peter, had he listened to his father, would have resisted the temptation, and would have turned them down, for his father had told him many times as a boy, Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Had he been nobler, he would have valiantly apprehended them himself, but that would have meant a tussle, and he would rather have taken a nap. Besides, he said to himself, 
What could be easier? A little lie is easy to do, and the gold will buy me lunch. So off the thieves went into the brush on the side of the road, and a lie he did tell for some gold. Meanwhile, back at the castle, John was feeling quite good, having entered into a battle and come out victorious, and now awaiting the king's return to receive his reward. What good had come to him? He, not willing to be idle while the king was away, found employment with a local blacksmith stoking the fires. The fires were hot, and shoveling coal was the hardest work he had ever done. He considered that perhaps he should not suffer the heat and toil, that perhaps he should wait the king's return in idleness and ease. After all, thought he, it may be that the king will reward me so richly when he returns that I will have no need to work. It was a foolish thing for him to think. Then, before the birds could make their nest, he heaved another shovel of coal into the fire, and thought of it no more. Though the heat did not lessen, he became accustomed to it, and gradually worked closer and closer to the flames, and did not mind the work as he knew that good would come of it as it always had. He remembered his father's words, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. Peter, having told his lie and gotten his gold, was off again, this time with new companions, the very thieves that had fought against the king and his men. At first he only walked with these rotten men, for he did not care much for thieving, as he thought it too much work. But before long, for a little gold here, and a little food there, he was found to be in the constant hire of the rogue band in the black forest. Peter was a snoop and a decoy. He would either go sulking ahead and report back who he saw coming down the road, or go into the road and lie down as though injured, which suited him better as he liked to lay down. Then, when the unsuspecting traveller would come to his aid, the robbers would burst forth from the trees to gather the gold and flee. This was the only part that Peter did not like, because he had to run. The birds had made their nest. He had been tempted to laziness, debt, lies, and now theft. The birds had found their home. Now, being in a band of robbers and thugs, Peter was given a sword, but he never pulled it out to practice, because it was too heavy. Besides, thought he, the others will fight for me. To Peter it was bad enough that he had to run occasionally. Though his companions were foul, and his trade a dishonorable one, Peter had found what he thought was a good place in the world. John, on the other hand, worked hard with the smith until the fires bothered him little, and his muscles became hard like stone. The king returned some months later, having been away on official business, but he had not forgotten the young lad that had come to his aid in the black forest, and gave summons for him as soon as the proper time came. The court was like nothing John had ever seen. The banners, trumpets, horses, the ladies and gentlemen all dressed in fine clothing, the carpet of scarlet that led up to the throne, the throne of gold all set with precious stones, and the king now sitting in all his splendor, crown upon his head and scepter in his hand, dazzled John. He fell on his knees, and wondered that he had ever spoken to the king face to face. The king, seeing John's bewilderment, let out a hearty laugh and bid him to arise. My son, you fought nobly, and like no other I have ever seen. No, not in all my realm. I wish you to be a knight in my kingdom, to be one of the king's men. My lord, stammered the young man, I have not a drop of royal blood. 
I have not a horse, shield, or sword, save the one you gave me. I have no training. Smiling, the king interrupted him. My son, you need not worry of that. I am the king. Will you be a knight of this king, or no? John, in amazement, stuttered out, Yes, my lord, it would be my greatest honor. So be it, cried the king. Trumpets sounded, the clump, clump, clump of soldiers' feet on stone came closer, and a sword was presented to the king. John was knighted. A knight of Badenton is highly trained, and Sir John was no exception. For a year and a day he trained. He worked at it like no one else had. He became expert at sword-play, a horseman unequaled in all the realm. His strength, gotten by many hours of hard work, waxed great, and the birds now left him alone. There was now no temptation to laziness, not a thought of fleeing in the face of danger. He was not tempted by riches, for he was content with whatever he had. Truth was always on his lips, and no guile was found in his heart. His brother, however, was soon the bane of the robber's existence. He was careless and sloppy. He was lazy, even for a thief. He would not so much as lift a finger to help. His sword rusted in the sheath. For a year and a day the robbers put up with him, but no longer. It was about this time that the rumbling out of the East Country began. First, it was reports of missing sheep, or an occasional cow. Then came the reports of the glow of red at night streaking across the eastern skies. Finally, the word dragon was on everyone's lips. Now this was no ordinary dragon. It was Weatherfang. The very name made the bones chill and the throat dry of those that heard it. He was king of the dragons of the east. Terror by night and dread of night by day had taken hold of the kingdom. The king wrung his hands as night after night went to confront this most formidable foe, and did not return. The king's knights were not the only ones that were interested in the lair of Weatherfang. Deep in the black forest, the rogue bandits also heard with interest of the thousands upon thousands of gold coins and piles of silver and of jewels most precious to be found in the lair of Weatherfang himself. Most just talked of it and shuddered. Some thought of it dreamlike, but none dared think of actually attempting to rob Weatherfang. None, that is, save one. Peter had become so entangled in his love of ease and his life of thievery that he could not sleep at night thinking of all that gold. He tossed and turned and turned again. Finally, having no reason to stay as the rubber band had forsaken him, he set out toward the east to find the gold. Peter never gave a second thought about how he would find the dragon or even how he would defeat him. Planning an excursion like that would have taken too much time, and it would have been work, and that was unacceptable to Peter. If he had listened to his father, well, he didn't, and that is why he was a fool. Back in the castle, the king and Sir John spoke in hushed tones. The king said, John, you are my finest, but to lose you to the dragon would be more than I could bear. Sir John replied, I must go. I must protect the kingdom. I must uphold the vow I took when you made me a knight. To sit here with that dragon flying about is worse than cowardice. It is treason. The king reluctantly agreed, and off went John away into the night, swift as his horse's hoofs could take him. 
Several days later, and far off to the east, Peter, hearing the sound of flapping in the trees, terror-stricken by the snorting and spewing of sparks all around him, tugged at his sword. It wouldn't budge. With his sword rusted so soundly in the scabbard, he could not even defend himself against this most giant of birds about to land upon his head. With a muffled cry, he remembered his father's words. Oh, that I would have resisted the temptations, he sobbed. And then he was no more. With one gulp, Weatherfang devoured him. As he galloped toward the east, Sir John was met more frequently with the sight of sobbing widows, burned houses and crops, and orphaned children. Urged on by the destruction he met with, Sir John went faster and faster, and became more and more determined as he went. Resting only for his noble steed, Sir John continued on until at last he met his foe. Dusk was falling when he pulled his horse to a stop on the grassy field now burned over by dragon's breath. Weatherfang had just descended upon the plain, and he gathered himself up to spring at the tiny horse and his rider. "'Weatherfang!' a voice cried out. "'One of us shall not leave this field to-night!' The battle commenced. Shrieking and slashing, Weatherfang launched himself at Sir John, but the knight was ready, and the dragon was able only to give a glancing blow that was easily deflected by a now-seasoned warrior." Sir John, with shield in place, brought his sword crashing down upon the dragon's wing with a crack. A scream echoed over the plain, and lights appeared in the windows of the few remaining cottages that Weatherfang had not yet destroyed. Again the combatants faced one another. This time the dragon hurled great streaking fires at the man on the horse. Unmoved by the heat, Sir John remembered the fires of the blacksmith's shop in the words of his father. Realizing that his horse could not stand the heat of the fire, Sir John dismounted and faced Weatherfang alone. Triumphantly the bat-winged creature approached, only to be beaten back again and again by the mighty blows of the sword of Sir John, again remembering the battle in the black forest and the courage won there, again remembering his father's words, Sir John fought with vigor. Around and around the combatants flew until both dragon and man were weary. Weatherfang hurled himself at the man, showering sparks and fire upon his head. The man deflected the dragon again and again, slashing with his sword, until suddenly the dragon retreated a little. Now man and beast faced one another, and a rasping voice was heard. "'Little man, I will eat you in the end, but you are strong, and I tire of this game. I will give you riches beyond your wildest dreams. Only retire from the field.' "'You infernal beast!' cried John. "'You will not tempt me with your riches. "'To battle!' "'And he hurled himself once again at the dragon with all his might. "'The clash lasted only minutes more, "'and the cry of a mortally wounded weatherfang rang out across the plain. "'Sir John had resisted unto blood. "'He had not allowed the birds to make a nest in his hair. "'In the silence that followed, John stood looking at the smoke rising from the nostrils of his slain foe in wonder. Tired and thankful, he turned to his horse to remount and return to the castle, when a sound caught his ear that made the hair on his neck stand out, as if electrified. A voice was coming from behind him. Wheeling about with sword drawn and shield lifted to protect him, he faced his foe, only to be met with the same picture that he had just turned his back upon. 
Weatherfang still lay lifeless on the field. There were still a few lights in the distant cottages, but a voice could be clearly heard coming from what seemed to be his fallen enemy. Cautiously he approached. Then, puzzled, he looked intensely at the snout of the dragon, but still saw no movement. The voice seemed to be pleading and crying in a muffled sort of way, but it was not coming from the dragon, at least not from the dragon's mouth. Drawing closer, he suddenly realized what was happening, and with a swiftness like lightning, he slashed at the belly of the beast with his sword. The crying ceased, and out tumbled a very humbled Peter. "'Peter!' cried Sir John, and with a whoop he grabbed him up in his arms and hugged him. "'Peter, I thought I would never see you again!' Peter responded with his head dropped to his chest. "'Nor did I. John, I have been such a fool. I have followed a path very different from you. I have taken up with robbers and thieves. I have disgraced myself, and even almost died in the belly of that horrible beast.' John replied, "'There is hope for you yet, my brother, for I have never heard you speak in this way.' And he mounted his horse, pulled up Peter behind him, and rode toward the castle. As they went, Peter recounted to John all his troubles, and between sobs and tears told the whole story of how he had come to be found in the belly of Weatherfang. John listened intently to him as they went, and when he was done, turned about in the saddle and looked him in the eye, and told him that he loved him still. In the days that followed, as the kingdom heard the news of the victory, bells rang out from one end of the land to the other, and Sir John was honored by all. Great joy filled every good heart, but none so much as the king. Having grown old without an heir, he pronounced that Sir John would be king when he was gone, for none, said he, was so wise and brave, none would better rule the kingdom in righteousness than he. After a few more years, John did become king, and a good and wise king, too. As for Peter, his repentance was real. His terrible experience with Weatherfang, and then the love that his brother had shown him, was more than a hard heart could resist. He became a new man, and all that knew him before wondered at the change that had overcome him. The king gave him a full pardon for all the wrongs he had done, and after many years had passed, and he had proven himself to be an industrious and trustworthy man, he was appointed to oversee the establishment of schools for young men to learn wisdom. He did return to the robber band one time, but it was to plead with them to come out of the woods and change their ways. He took with him a writing from the king that granted full pardon to any like himself that would lay down their weapons and return. Some did, and they all lived happily for many years after. The end.